Welcome to another episode of the Dune North Outdoors podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I am one of your hosts. Sitting across from me is Natalie Dillon. And to my right, producer extraordinaire, Brandon Morton, keeping us on track. And to my left, my bass fishing tournament <laughs> buddy. We just got done fishing the Blackfish Classic on Lake Minnetonka. Matt Peters is our guest today. We're going to cover a variety of topics, but if you're interested in the world of competitive fishing. This podcast is going to be for you because Matt, you and I grew up fishing together and against each other. I remember the first time we fished together, it was uh, on Lake. So we both grew up in Waconia, Minnesota, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. There's a pretty good bass lake called Lake Waconia in town. And there's a marina called the in-town marina. And they used to have their little um, like eight to 10 boats in this thing and it would be every couple of Tuesdays or something like that and it was bass club and I remember fishing against you and thinking oh man if I could just beat Matt like that's <laughs> that's the guy to beat you know and there was other there's other people too but you learn a lot of things along the way and eventually we started fishing together more. how did that friendship start Sorry to around, a, story, around, a fi- around a fish who I approached mean, what's, you what's that did you approach him I'm not entirely sure. I mean, that's... He was like a young little grasshopper, and I was really young, I feel like I still am, by the way. (laughs) And uh, you were probably like 12 or 13, because I was fishing the Wednesday Nighters, looking up to Chris Lidke and those guys, and I was probably, what am I, two, three years older than you, four years older than you? So I would have been like 16, 17, and I was looking at all these other guys like, holy cow, those guys are hammers. Like, I wish I knew how to catch bass like those guys. Yeah. And you were over there in the corner, and I was like, and next thing you know, that guy's coming to the tournaments and, you know, bringing his little tinner out like all the rest of us and going <laughs> to catch some bass. And well, I didn't even have a boat when I first started fishing, and I'd fish in the back of the boat. But I think, you know, you've learned so much when you fish with other people. And you've always been somebody that um, I've learned every time I fish with you, I'm always learning something because your brain thinks about fishing in a way that, I would say few people do um, your attention to detail and just the sheer number of big fish that you catch obviously stands out, you know? So it's, it's fun that over the years we've become friends that fish together, we fish different places. And yesterday, this last week, it like, it relit a fire inside of me. Natalie and I talked about mm-hmm. this on our last show that you and I were going to fish this. And I said, yeah, I'm just excited to go fish with my buddy, Matt Peters, because we have so much fun and we catch a lot of fish. And I, I went into it. I'm like, Matt, we're going to win this thing. Yeah, and, you were awfully confident. Yeah, but that's because I have that much confidence fishing with you. And I, there's something about that. I told my wife that, too. And I'm like, we're going we're gonna to do good. It doesn't matter what we're just going to figure it out because I've never not figured out something when we're fishing together. And so the Blackfish Classic on Lake Minnetonka, it's now, I think the fifth year that they've had this event. Um, it's a, it's a stout field of competition. I mean, you fish tournaments all over the country you have, and you fish around the Midwest still a lot of tournaments, but it's a, it's a legit field of, Bass anglers. Yeah. It's How many boats were in it? A hundred. Yeah, it's a hundred teams. Yeah. And uh, that's, aside from the Sturgeon Bay Open, it's probably the largest team event in the few state area. I think the Sturgeon Bay Open is the only team event that's bigger. But 
Sturgeon Bay opens a two-day, and you can win a boat and everything, and you got to go over to the Great Lakes and catch these smallmouth, and you have to compete against all these other local studs. Well, the blackfish is basically our version of that, but it's a one-day in the backyard. 100 teams is just, for the most part, slammers. Like, these guys are, they're all hammers. Any one of those guys can win this thing. But going into it, all week the wind blew and practice was bad and I kept calling Trav going, I don't know, I'm not catching a whole lot. He's like, oh, we'll be fine. We're going to win. I'm like, I don't know if it's quite that easy. <laughs> so along those lines, the idea for this podcast today really came about on our last podcast, like live. We were just chatting and then he mentioned that you guys were fishing this tournament and that we try to get you on as a guest. And I said, you know, are you going to be comfortable having this podcast if you guys like really blow it the day before? <laughs> and you said, yeah, but I saw it in your eyes. You're like, we're not going to blow it. We're going to do good. I told you, I've got confidence. <laughs> yeah. And when you go out on the water thinking you're going to do bad, you usually do bad. If you go out there <laughs> yeah. thinking we're going to do this, we do it. Like there's something to be said about confidence, no matter mm-hmm. what you're fishing, when you're fishing, however, what, you know. And I went into the day confident. I really did. Well, and, and that's good because that came on me. I wasn't very confident because it had been tough for a few days. And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but... Trav sure thinks we're going to win, so I better put my best foot forward here. So Suck that, like, yeah, like, that was good. I absorbed that energy. And like you said earlier, I mean, as soon as we get in a boat together, it's like it, it, you wouldn't have known it had been 15 years since we fished tournament. It's pretty fluid. It's a ton of fun. It's easy. Obviously, you fished your whole life. We got to grow up, like you mentioned earlier, on Lake Waconia, where it's great bass fishing. And the one thing I related to is I tell people, I'm like, when you watch the Olympics and you see really good skiers and they say where they're from, and they're like from Breckenridge or they're from <laughs> Vail. And you're like, oh, they grew up on a ski hill and they're really good at skiing. You're always like, hmm. And then people are like, well, did you fish your whole life? I'm like, yeah, I pretty much grew up on the Vale of bass fishing because I got to grow up like you right there. I mean, I grew up on the shore of Lake Waconia and we grew up where there was a slot limit on the lake. So all the bass 17 to 21 inches had to get let go. Well, Therefore, the place was just loaded with lots of big bass, and not very many people lived in Waconia at the time. Small town. Nobody even knew where yeah. Waconia was. So the lake the wasn't beat up ever. Like, yeah. you could go out and catch four-pounders everywhere, it seemed like. So we kind of grew up with, like, this beautiful version of a ski hill, but it was the lake, full of bass, and eventually it turned into a great musky fishery. It's always had good walleye fishing. So we were just really lucky to have that opportunity because I think now looking back at, you know, what I've – done over the last 25 30 years is like well yeah when you take your first guide trip at 15 because people want you to pay you to take them fishing you're like okay and you learn enough about it it's like do you the, remember your first guide trip by i the way? do i took bill miller on my first ever trip i was 15 and he told me to give me 50 bucks he's like i'll give you 50 bucks if you take me fishing i was like 50 bucks i was I'll, gonna fish anyway yeah, sure. yeah i was like they'll fill my boat for a week right i was like that's mm-hmm. like i can buy two containers of leeches and enough gas for a week so, yeah, and then from then on, I was like, well, that's pretty cool. I wonder if anybody else would pay me to take them fishing. It just- so my first trip, I remember it, too. It was a co-worker of my dad's, and I, I had figured out the muskies big time on Lake Minnetonka, and we were catching four, five, six, seven every time we'd go out. And I had the, you know, the old disposable cameras, so I had pictures, and I kept developing them. But I, I think at the time, I wasn't old enough to drive myself to a place that could develop those photos. So my dad would take him into work and develop them over lunch or whatever. And then he showed the photos to some of his coworkers. And this guy's like, can I pay your son to take me out? I want to catch a muskie, you know? And so my dad came home. He's like, hey, uh, this this guy wants to pay you. And uh, I'm like, 
he wants to pay me to go fishing. <laughs> too. I was yeah. like, somebody yeah. wants to pay me. I had to, to borrow. I borrowed a boat, wow. and I took the guy out, and we. I think we saw. I kept track. We had 21 follows, and we had eight strikes, and we landed three muskies. Wow! And that was my first, my first paid trip. You know, and it took me a long time over the course of my guiding. And I was I was 16 that summer when I did it. So I drove, I was able to drive myself. How old were you when you got the Blue Ranger? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I bought that my freshman year. Uh, I want to remember either my senior year of high school. Yeah, and I, I somehow convinced my like maybe I shouldn't even say this, but like it was part of a student loan thing because I got a better deal on the student loan, I and it. I used money on that to buy the boat. Great. So then I bought my first Ranger boat. My Freshman year of college with my student loan. Wow. When did you get your then, first boat, yeah. Matt? Well, so I had a in '97, I think. So I would have been a junior in high school. I got a 16 foot lawn with a 50 tiller on it, brand new. Like it was nine thousand dollars. Like nowadays, you can put graphs on that. Are by the time you get a boat rigged, mm-hmm. you're twenty grand in electronics mm-hmm. and got like a nice lawn tiller with a 50 for nine grand at the boat show. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, this is going to really, like, I went from a 15 horse to a 50. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to rack them. And you, you drove around with the tallest well, rooster tail. Well, that was tail. once I got the, <laughs> the tallest rooster tail that you've ever seen on any boat. Everybody knew when you were on the water because so, it was just this big wall of water going. It's like two years <laughs> in the lawn, I realized, <laughs> two years in the lawn, though, I realized that I was just not equipped enough to compete in these Wednesday nighters for $100 gas yes. money. So I had to go get like an 18 foot Ranger with a 150 fast strike from God. Who, somebody from Oconia sold that to me. But anyway, so I got that. My first boat was your neighbor, Dan Roth, sold me that old champion. Oh, yeah. And I blew the motor up multiple times because it was not a very trustworthy motor. It was a terrible buy before I finally got into a solid trustworthy boat. Anyway, keep going. Then I got that. So I got that 18 foot Ranger with a 150 fast strike. And then I just blew rooster tails <laughs> over. Like, I don't yeah. know if I fast, I could ever catch one because they're really hard to catch at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you fish today. <laughs> you can always just scoot around. 20 year old kid with a boat that was just like, it's really oh, sweet. I was like, this is awesome. Gosh, how did we get down this track? Where Maybe. were we? Guys, let me keep us on track. But yeah. I would like to, for people listening at home, you know, you said you've been guiding and a tournament angler for a couple decades now. How did you like first transition into wanting to do this as a profession as opposed to just a kid like Travis out there just, just fishing? Well, I have to rewind one second and then I'll answer that. One other side snippet about Travis starting guiding is in like 98, I started a website. Yeah. And my sister helped me start it. And he comes to me and he's like, you think your sister could help me start a website? She, yeah. So my sister was like, yeah, I'll help Travis. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, this guy's got this Trophy Encounters blog website. And I'm like, that looks a lot like what I have. (laughs) (laughs) And next thing you know, now here he is, obviously gone on to do great things. But it is wild when I think back to all the history of it is I was like, my sister like basically went on board with him to help build his first website. And that's like what started all. Back to your so question. So that then, let me Natalie. jump on that because <laughs> that goes back to the, like, I learned so much from you all the time and what you were doing worked so well. Yeah. You know, and I. Who had a blog in 1998? You did. And it was a fishing wow. blog. I was like 20 years ahead of the, everyone. I was yeah. like, I'm going to Did people read blog. it? Was it It was popular? huge for a while because yeah. there was no social channels. There was no yeah. YouTube. There was no anything. So all I started really was just with current fishing reports even. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's all it was. Like today we went out and caught 
25 bass. They're biting a jigworm. Just kind of giving people like little snippets and details. And how do they find you? Just search engines? Just, yeah, through Word search engines or looking for a guide or, you know, different things. I didn't do any Google AdWords or anything. Yeah. It was MySpace, just, probably. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. It was mostly just clients and Direct family. Right, family and friends, maybe, or maybe, and, you know, whatever it was. So but, we could track it. And this is the... The software we used was called Squarespace that his sister built it on. And so it's still around. It's still around. Yeah. Exactly. It's very well, my popular. My blog is on. Yeah. It's very popular today. So back then there was not a lot of fishing blogs. And I I'm sorry for copying you, but I copied <laughs> you. And I did my own blog. And like you helped like if we go way back and we yeah. look at the journeys we've been on, you know, thank you. Yes, no, well, and I <laughs> learned you. a lot from you. It wasn't just a one-way street because Trav was by far the best muskie angler around. There, was, there wasn't even a conversation. It started there and it ended there. Anybody else that muskie fished was over here. You're like, oh, you catch muskies? Do you know Travis Frank? He's the best muskie <laughs> fisherman you're going to meet. Oh, so then when it came time to like, I had a lot of muskie trips in like 05 to 2010 before I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to keep doing that. But it was the heyday of muskie fishing at the time. But Trav's like, oh, all you got to do is just go out here and throw this bait over the top of this deal at this time, and you'll catch muskie. And I was like, okay, I think I could duplicate that, kind of like when I go bass fishing with him now. So then I went around and did that a bunch of places in all these lakes, and I was like, oh, that's pretty fun. Well, then muskie fishing got a little tougher oh, over tougher. time, and things changed. So to grow that, you know, going back to the, the blog, I could track and watch. I mean, you could see where people mm -hmm. are coming from, how they're coming. So I, we would write stories. Matt would write his fishing report, I would write stories from the day. And the stories, I would then send a link to the clients that were in the boat with me that day. Here's a photo of all of their muskies that they caught that day and the story that went with it. They would forward that to 15 of their fishing buddies. Hey, check this out. So you've got every day another story. And then people would be like, holy crap, they caught six muskies today? They got four yesterday? They had three the day before? They had five the day before that? Like, every day this is happening? Mm -hmm. They're like, I want in. So for every trip I did, I had, like, three or four people call, I want to get in on this, I want to get in on this, plus the people that came out. So my business exploded based on yeah. just on that guide there. And, and then I look forward a few years after that, when I was, when I was talking to Ron Shera, after college about wanting to work here and he needed some help. And the first thing he said is, can you write? And I was like, well, I think so. And I sent him a link to go check out my blog. You had the body of work to I show know. him. And yeah. he's like, here's my resume. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's amazing how the journey, yeah. where it takes you and how you get where you're There's a lot of history going. Like yeah. between you and I. For, for sure. sure. Like, I have to ask the hard question, and I want honest answers. How no we lying. did yesterday? No, we'll get to that. We'll <laughs> okay. get to that. But you guys were doing a lot of similar things at the same time. Were you ever competitive with each other? Honest answers. Or was oh, it always sure. this romance? Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I don't know a fisherman that's not, not competitive. competitive. Yes. We shouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was uh, but it was all in a good nature. Like, in even yesterday, like, if we get in a boat together, one pushes the other, vice versa. And I would say the same thing went on. His, you know, we went down, he went hard down a musky path. I just stayed more down the lane of like, I enjoyed bass fishing. I'd take people, you know, musky fishing if they wanted to, but it was more just multi-species. And I just tried to write, you know, stories from each day and give people little nuggets. Well, then I, the thing that it really evolved into for me prior to there again, before social media and all these things that's changed all that world was, it was an opportunity for me to tell a, or have a brand get their information out. Like I'm catching them on a Senko or I'm catching them on whatever. Well, that was then when I, to your point, you could pull the data and I like, 
I have 33,000 readers to this this month, unique like IP addresses that just read this fishing report. Do you want to have your lures in front of them? They're like, yeah. So then at that point, I just turned it into where I was just selling advertisement. And then I was like, all right, this is great. I just got to sell the eyeballs because I come from a big family and have eight older brothers and sisters, and they were much older and already through college and very successful. And they were like, you know, if you just sell advertisement and sell the, uh, monetize the eyeballs, you'll be all right. So that was kind of what I rolled it into somewhat. And then eventually it's, I haven't done a whole lot with it in the last handful of years because all these other platforms came out. I decided to pursue more of just a competitive fishing side of this sport and not so much on the guide side and just really dedicate to trying to just compete and try to win bass tournaments. I was like, I just have to, it just takes so much of your time and energy that by the time you get home, you're like, I don't know if I can sit here and write this report right now. I just want to go to bed and tie my lines and go again tomorrow. So it's, it, it evolved a lot. Like I said, along came YouTube and all these other places for people to get their information. So yeah, that was, uh, but it was good. It was good competitive nature between him and I at uh, many years there. It was like, I looked up to him because I knew if I wanted to go musky fishing, it was like, or people call me for muskies. I would still mm-hmm. just go call Travis. Yeah. <laughs> they still call me today. I'm like, call Travis. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Somebody sent me an email the other day that said, Matt Peterson. <laughs> I want to get to When they call yeah. me, I'm like, yeah. just call Travis. I've, yeah. and, and that's just the ebb and flow of things from blogs to your fishing to where you find your lanes and you just kind of. For me, you kind of, you know, I've just kind of found a different lane, and we both kind of did at times, and it's been good, though. And then we were able to get in a boat yesterday and go to Blackfish and take all the competitive juices and go have a great day fishing. Yeah, hey, tell it. us about it. How did it go? Well, let's, let's back up just a little bit, because even though we both live near Lake Minnetonka, neither one of us actually fish it for bass hardly ever, unless there's a reason that I have to go out there. I do a lot of guiding out there for walleyes and some bass, too. But I consider some of the other lakes in the area to be far superior bass fishing lakes because and of a lot less traffic. A lot less traffic. Just the, the the amount of pressure on Lake Minnetonka from all the tournaments that mm-hmm. are constantly held out there. The amount of people that I mean, when you go out there, and just it can boat be traffic, boat traffic, yeah. set aside the anglers and bass tournament yeah. anglers. Yeah. And sometimes you look at a lot of the technology that's on everyone's boat has opened up the eyes to everybody to know where the best outside weed lines are, the best points, rock piles, hard bottom, like all the things that you want to find and fish, everybody's found them and are fishing them too. And so I don't know why, but it just has has made it less appealing to just be out there for the fun because, well, I do know why. (laughs) On average, I'll catch three or four times more fish on a different lake and the average size is two to three times larger. So therefore, I usually take people to other lakes besides Minnetonka. But then when Matt and I were talking about fishing this together, I'm like, well, we got to go out there and figure this out, you know? And we pounded our heads against the wall last week. Both of us fished separately in our own boats to kind of go look at things that we've done in the past. And then we would compare notes, and mm. the notes weren't very good most times. I found some fish. He found some fish. But By not good that, doesn't mean they, they didn't align with each other? We, or you We knew weren't... we needed to get about a four-pound average okay. for five bass because you bring the five largest bass mm-hmm. to the scale. And based on history out there, you, you need to bring in roughly a four-pound average to win. I mean, there was a year or two there where I think 19 pounds won it, Matt. Yeah, I think one year for sure. Brad Leitner won it that year with 19 and change or 19 and a half, whatever it was. So, And it was fishing tough all week. We had tough conditions all week. 
we had a lot of wind on Wednesday, I think, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Somewhere in that window, we had northwest winds of like sustained at 15 with gusts most of the day at 25 to 30. Well, that's for a bass guy, that's not the greatest condition. Some guys like a little wind, but that's just too much. It, it's hard to fish a spinning rod right. Your line's always getting blown. It's just hard to like present the lures in right. And then the grass where the bass like to live gets all blown over when the wind's blowing that hard. So all week it was kind of like, like the one day I was out all day and at the end of the day I called Trav and I was like, well, I learned nothing today. I caught a few fish, but I, you know, I just, you have to have a short memory too. You have to wake up the next day and don't even, you have to just have a real short memory and kick that to the curb to know that the next day is a new day. That was just the conditions that day and start fresh. So I kept doing that, but I wasn't getting much results. It was like, this is kind of, so after like three days of that, and he had some days out and we did a morning together here and there. And then I finally said to him then on Saturday night, I said, we'll go Sunday morning. I'll, we'll get on the water at six. I said, we're just going to put our boat in a bay and fish the whole bay. Because conditions are going to be pretty nice. The tournament's going to be Monday. We don't have much time left. Let's just fish a whole bay and stop running around trying to go to spots. And so we did that, and we found one little area in this bay where we got a few bites. And we're like, okay, that's good. That's better than how it has been. We might have to come back here. And uh, We had but- three spots after. Yes, I went to church that morning. We got on the water at 6 a.m. I had church at 945. Wow. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to – we just – my wife was volunteering and I needed to be there with the kids and stuff. And I was like, we got three hours and we went out and we found three spots on Sunday morning that where there were some bass. Like, and we thought there wouldn't be other people. Yeah. That's the other thing out okay, there. It's yeah. such a weird dynamic. We were, open there's a, guys, yes, but there's a okay. hundred boats, Natalie, yeah. and we are boat number 98. Oh yeah. boy. 98 people get to so 97. First, I think first Ugh. flight was let out at 6.30. Our flight left at 7.30. So in theory, by the time our flight left, the guys in the first flight already have been fishing yeah. for 45 minutes. So, and that's just by random boat draw. We just happen to be boat 98, but so we got to find some stuff. That's the unique dynamic about tournament fishing is that once especially in this format, you find out your boat numbers a week ahead of time, right away I knew, I'm like, we got to find stuff that is like not Different, yeah. obvious. Because if it's obvious, there's going to be boats on it. So Were there boats on your spot? No. Not one time? No, wow. we didn't have any We didn't boats. have one time. We only fished four spots. Yeah, we went to where we wanted to go. Every time we went there, our spot was wide open that we wanted to go to. And, um, you know, it worked out pretty well for us that way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going back to the whole how we don't hardly ever fish out there anymore. That's what I was thinking about is, like, really we fished, like, we had such terrible conditions. I'm like, we only had, like, a day and a half of real fish time before this tournament because I don't go out there ever either because back to what you mentioned earlier, it's just so much traffic, so many boats. Well, you travel all over the place and, uh, and to fish. Yeah, that and, yeah, trying to travel around and be at tournaments, come home, have some time at home, do all the rest of the stuff with life is, like, the last thing I'm doing is like, oh, yeah, let's rush over to Tonka for the evening. I just don't. It's not on my first thing on my radar. So, But this tournament was going to force me to have to get out there, which was kind of one of the reasons I signed up, was like put myself back in that you're forced to have to go there. You're forced to have to learn it. And on Sunday morning when he got in at 6 o'clock, I was questioning everything in my life. Why did I sign us up for this? What are we doing? Now you fast forward to yesterday during the tournament and we end up on one of the spots that we found on Sunday morning after we fished some other stuff and didn't get really any quality bites. We get over to this spot and we start catching a few. And then I think we sat there for like a solid two hours and we caught like 50 bass out of one spot. 
And if it wouldn't have been for that spot, it probably mm. wouldn't ended very well. But that one spot pretty much was ended up being. We had three bites there on Sunday, and then we kept moving on and left it alone. Three three bites mm. and three casts, and they were all okay. quality fish. That are we you wanted. landing them like when you're pre-fishing the day before? Are you are you even fishing with hooks or what's your I process? Do. Okay, yeah. I'm yeah, because, is that something that I mean? People have different schools of thought on that, right? Yes. That's a good question. Yeah. Natalie brings up a good point because there's all kinds of my friends that like fish shake off baits they call them or a lure that like they'll cut their jig worm hook off but they'll throw it in there like into a grass spot or a jig or whatever and they'll wait for one to pull back and they're like okay they're there and they don't catch them that's i used to work it on major league fishing and a lot of the guys pre-fishing the day before they wouldn't even have hooks on whatever they're using and i always like i get it they want to leave their fish there but at the same time like how do you really know the size of the fish if you're not yeah, you know, that's the big thing because we but... had do- fish dozens of places where we caught bass, mm-hmm. and they're one and a half to two and a half pounders, and we're like, "This is no good. It doesn't matter. We need five fish that we need four pounders." Depends on the tournament too. Yeah, I yeah. 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 In yeah. this particular one, we knew we needed big ones, so yeah, I've, you got to see what's in there. Otherwise, we're going to be wasting our time catching two pounders, and that's not any good. Well, and depending on where some of those MLF events you're talking about are. They don't have a lot of subspecies. If they get bit, typically in some of those reservoirs or different places, they're mostly bass. There are some other things you can catch. But up here, you could throw into a spot and, like, get five bites on a shake-off bait in a row, and it could be five rock bass. Like, mm-hmm. we got to know, like, it could be pike. There could be a lot. We have a lot of species, too. So, And what I told a friend of mine the other day, he pulled up on me in practice, and I was catching them. And he fishes a shake-off bait a lot, and he's like, why are you catching them all? And I looked around my boat and I go, I didn't buy all this gear and have all this to shake them off. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I have all this because I like to catch a few. Like, that's the goal. If I got to shake them all off, why am I doing this? So it is, a, there are plenty of guys with that mentality. And a lot of the podcasts I did last week, we talked about that quite a bit because the guys know my style and they're like, why do you lean on them all in practice? I'm like, because I really like catching them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I just that's like, fair. now that day Trav made me move on. We caught two and two casts on Sunday morning. No, I know, but as I was trolling away, I threw back. Remember, you're like, <laughs> you, you looked at me, you go, no more casts there, and I still had one to more. throw my worm in there one more time. Yeah, I'm like, I yeah, got another yeah, one. Yeah, wow. totally. That's where I was going with it, because you were like, no, don't throw in there anymore. They're there. I'm like, I got to catch one more. Yeah. We, we, we finally found them after a full week of trying to talk sense into each other's heads about what we were both seeing out there and experiencing, talking to other people. We, Natalie's no, no joke. We finally stopped talking about fishing, and we were just talking about our families, and we just went fishing, and we weren't looking for anything. We were just casting, standing on the deck next to each other. He was talking about his son. I was talking about my mm-hmm. kids, and then we started talking about hockey and all this other stuff, and all of a sudden, there's one. Ooh, yeah. There's another one, you know, and it's funny how that stuff kind of works sometimes, and it's when we just shifted our, our mindsets yeah. a little bit. We came across what we needed to uh, what we needed to find yesterday. I always joke that I always catch fish, especially my biggest fish, when I'm not paying attention or not trying. And that just probably is a bad sign. Because I'm like, when I'm really focused and I'm really trying, I can't catch fish. And I'm like, I just need to throw everything out. I think I know as a fisherman. Yeah, that's totally. So is that a good lead lead into what? She doesn't even know where we're about to go with it. Yeah, so we're on this spot and we're literally hoisting bass after bass after bass. So on, many, on a place that... How many had we caught at this point? During the tournament, or are we talking during about the tournament? Okay. During the tournament. We probably had 40 fish in the boat at that time, 40 bass. And so you can call, you know, mm-hmm. so we're trying to figure out. Matt's got the scale. And I'm literally catching a bass on every cast. And this one's bigger than the last one. And they're, like, they just kept getting bigger as the time went on. And I'm like, oh, there's one, you know. And then he's... He's right, like, he got two sides to the live one. We're trying to keep 
weights, you know, like he's got a digital scale. He's like, okay, yeah. number five. Yeah, we got it. This one goes out. This one goes out. So he's playing with the bass and I'm hoisting fish in. And we just were like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it was like two and a half hours of just pure chaos between him catching mm-hmm. them. And then my, you know, and like that one's bigger, this one's bigger. And then all of a sudden he casts out and he's got the rod sitting kind of on the side. And we're, I don't remember what we were looking at or something. All of a sudden it sounded like I heard a Buffalo ran through the boat. Like he dove to catch this rod that's going oh, out the side. It was of the literally boat. just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. You were just talking about how sometimes when you're doing, so mm-hmm. I flick my worm out so I could go back to working with the fish, set my rod down. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I, I'm, cause I, at this point I'm sitting down. I just want to catch yeah. one. He's peeling on them and I'm so busy taking care of fish care. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, Oh, I'll throw out. And I threw it out, close the bale, set the rod down sitting there doing something and all of a sudden I hear this chaos and I look over and my rod shoots off the front, like goes over the rail of the boat going into the lake and I dove and as I dive, I catch the butt of the rod, lean back, got one. No way. Yeah. Three, 314, yeah. biggest fish of the day. At Holy that time, uh, yeah, that ended, up that, being was our, a, that ended up being our biggest one yeah. of the day. I was Which, like, it's interesting because our wow. scales told us that we had a different weight than what we weighed in. So ultimately, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked, I don't know how long, Brandon, how long we've been talking already. 30 minutes, and we haven't even gotten to the point. <laughs> How'd you guys the, do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, how did we do? We really haven't got to that. <laughs> yes. So we, Matt and Travis, get on a podcast. Look up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we ended up in fifth place yesterday out of the 100 teams. 19.1 pounds. 19.1 pounds. Not bad for about 98. Yeah, we were, no, that's we were really happy. Awesome. We were both. So he's got some buddies that live out there and fish a lot, and they're on this group text. So on our idol back in, he finally looks at his phone. He goes, ah. Oh, there's a 21 and a half pound bag. Oh, there's another one. There were several six pound bass that came in. Wow. Yeah. And uh, how big was it? And an eight pound bass weighed in yesterday. I really didn't know that they got that big out there. I mean, that's. I probably only caught one seven pound legit Minnesota seven pound legit seven pounder ever in my life that I know of. And it was out of Lake Waconia. I think I've only caught one in my life that I know was seven pounds in Minnesota. Have you, caught, big, have you caught any seven pounds? So I, yeah, I believe I have, I have one. I yeah. didn't have a scale, but I, I've showed the yeah. picture on a previous podcast, so we don't need to subject the view, the listeners to that again. Yeah, but that was a big I've bass. caught one that, that was, was like yeah. jaw dropping, so much bigger than a five pound bass. Right. But. I got two of them. One of them in Minnetonka, one in Waconia, pre spawn that I think were were eight pound. Was it before season open? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, it was an accident. I've one had a was few walleye of those, fishing. Yeah, but I've only had one while during, like, fishing for them. I don't know that bass. I've what, that I've broken that mark. But yeah, an angler did yesterday. That was just eight pound bass. An eight pound bass. Wow. Everyone with the stage was just like, <laughs> <gasps> whoa, you know, like the oohs and I can like and hear ahs. the cheering. From yes, here. Yeah. it was fun and it, yeah. just like the whole thing. And we didn't. Did think he play high or was that his? Did they? He he eight, I think more. he had 18 pounds, okay. 18 and change total. Yep. So he yep. probably finished top like 10. in the top 12 because I think right yeah. around 10th was 18 pounds, somewhere in there. So, yeah, anyway, we got fifth place and that was, you know, like, it just was fun. You know, it, we're talking it up like we won the thing. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Wow. Place I woke is great. Up we had nice fish. So, yeah. everyone we had was just a cookie cutter. We just never caught a giant, what they call a kicker. We just never got that big five and a half pounder to go with all these three. We, and had, a, we had a three. Pound four ouncer, and if we could have replaced that one with a bigger one, that would have bumped us up into the top one or two. Yeah, we would have definitely. Had. But that's the funny thing about tournaments is that it's so funny. Like I hadn't competed in a pretty good sized tournament in a long time, and not that I nearly the 
competitive background that Matt does. But, you know, I love the competitive side of fishing. And one thing, when you come to a scale, anyone listening right now that's ever been in a tournament, everybody says the same thing. Oh, there's two things. Either they had the one on that Mm -hmm. got off. You hear that one? Like, if I just got that one in, I would have... I would have won, you know, or, oh man, pre-fishing was so good. I was on him. I don't know what happened today. We call that winning pre-fish. Winning did you win? Pre-fish. Did you win pre-fish? Yeah. That's what we say so to guys. We're all. I'm like, down the docks and there's a hundred boats all stuffed into the harbor at Lord Fletcher's and you can't make, you're like, we're walking to like, cause we're literally second to last boat out of a hundred to come in and be like, how'd you do? How'd you do? And everyone and I'm like how did you guys do you know mm-hmm. like we had a ton of fun it was just an awesome day of fishing you know and it was just so much excitement about the day and and but I wanted to know how everyone else did too mm-hmm. and I it was I was just laughing to myself everybody said the same thing yeah. oh it was so good this week and I don't know what happened and I wasn't saying was, that I, I was know, saying we were. I was like it was we terrible were. this week yeah. well and whether or not you're a tournament angler or not anyone who fishes can relate to that I mean I feel like so many times I go out and I'll like pre- back when I was doing YouTube videos I would pre-fish for it and like catch some fish and be like okay I'm gonna film tomorrow and then the next day I'm there on my you know YouTube video well today's a little slower <laughs> I swear yesterday I caught some more uh-huh. but that and that's the, the beauty of fishing you know you can't can't predict what's gonna happen you can't control it and to me that's always what surprised me so much about those anglers probably like yourself that are just consistently catching them day after day tournament after tournament how impressive that is considering all the factors and so Matt consistently catches them and consistently wins or ranks up there. So the Champions Tour Classic Bass, uh, that's been going on three years now. Is that right? Or four? I think it's been going on actually five years. Five years. Now. Okay. So you've won Tournament of the Year multiple times in that? I won two Angler of the Years. Uh, I think I won 18 and 20. Okay. I finished second to Figgy in 19. Gotcha. Tried to win. I really wanted to win, like, all three of those. But then Noah Schultz has won it since then, last year. Um, and this year I'm sitting, like, seventh or eighth in points. I'm a ways back. I had a tough go on the Mississippi River. I finished 26th. It's tough to make up the ground. I finished sixth at the recent one at Lake Vermilion. But we only have four events. So if you have one slip up, it's really hard mm-hmm. to make any ground up in points on those guys. Yeah, the anglers are so so good, but it's fun watching some of these new formats come out, like the one you're talking about, because it's a live leaderboard. I was watching, I tuned yeah. in because I knew that turn was going on. I'm like, oh man, Petey, you're you're like 47th. So it's interesting. <laughs> like, oh, for two hours I was out of service. So in the last event, so our app is based off a of service and being able to load those weights. So we have Marshall that rides with us. He weighs them, takes a picture of them. They document all that, and then they load it into an app, and then people can keep up with current results. Well, I was way on the western side of Lake Vermilion, and I had no service for, like, two hours. So we were just putting it on the paper until we'd get back into service, and then he could get it all loaded. Well, there was, like, most of my family and friends quit watching. They're like, you were in 42nd place. They go, the next time I looked at it, you were in 6th. And I was like, well, 17 fish got uploaded after two hours of being out of service. So... That was unique to that one event. Typically, we have pretty good service, but Vermilion is a tough one to get service. But the one unique thing about all of our events is they split an AM and a PM period. So no matter where we go, if it's Gull, Whitefish, Tonka, it doesn't matter the lake, Scott Bonema, who runs it, splits the lake in half, and we fish a 7 to 11 period, and then we fish a noon to 4 period. There's a one-hour break in the middle. So in, on and the, the lake is, you said, split in a half. Right? And we don't know that split until the night before at the rules meeting. So we so you're have to fishing practice. half the lake in the morning and half in 
the yeah. afternoon. And we don't know wow. that split until literally at 6.30 the night before. He does the rules meeting, and then he holds up a map and says, here's the lake split. We have no idea how he's going to do it. If it's going to go east to west, north, north to south. south. If he's going to do some jagged lines, some crisscross things. He's done it all, and you don't know. So Fun. really, when you get there and you put your time into practice, and Vermilion's a big body of water, the recent one we were at, you have to fish the whole system because depending on how he splits it, you better know you can catch fish on and that's really, so I just try to, from one end to the other, find bass throughout that whole system. And then when he gives me the split, I'm like, okay, I got four or five spots for that afternoon, and I got four or five spots for the morning. Well, this way he split this one at Vermilion recently, he tried to kind of do a smallmouth, largemouth split, I would call it, but he left plenty of smallmouth for the afternoon too. But I had largemouth to fish way out west, and I had to fish Ely Island end of, like, the tower end of the lake in the morning, which was all smallmouth water, and I did terrible. I had caught, like, four bass in the first four hours or five bass, whatever it was. So I'm in, like, 30th place when we come in. But there again, in this format, even though you're in 30th and you know how you stand all day against everybody else, you know now in the afternoon you get to go to a whole other chunk of lake that no one's been on, and if you get on your spot and you have a good spot, you might, it's like two tournaments in the same day, I guess, right? So now all of a sudden in the afternoon, I went down and caught 21 largemouth out of one little patch of cabbage, and I go from 30th to 6th, you know? Like, I, outside of the, it took me forever to get down there because it was 20-some mile probably boat ride and 20-some miles back, and we have limited time then to fish. It hurt my fishing time. If I would have just given them a, somehow figured out how to give myself an extra 20 minutes, I mean, I had to leave them biting, like, they were biting the jig on every cast. I'm like, holy cow, how far back am I? My kid can't tell me. My marshal, I call them kids. They're high school kids. He can't even tell me how far back I am because the app won't update. Mm. Usually in our tournaments, with an hour to go, you know you're up by 12 pounds, and you're like, all right, these are the decisions I need to make and why. Mm. Well, in this deal, I'm like, he's like, I don't know. Right now I can't tell you what place you're in, and I don't know what's leading because I'm like, do I need to catch three more to win? Do I need to catch 10 more to win? So, I, but that's the fun of it, I think. You know, in that instance, you were kind of in a bad spot because you didn't have the information that the rest of the lot of the rest of the field probably did have. But it's also, you know, tournaments make you think about fishing in a completely different way. You know, like that to me sounds like an adrenaline rush. Like I yeah. want to get in on the circuit because I love the competitive side of it. I love that you don't know some of the things going in. It kind of evens the playing field a little bit. It separates some people. To really, are you a really good angler? And tournaments, without a doubt, have changed the world of fishing that we know because it forces people to catch fish when many others would just go home. You can't. There's money on the line. Yeah. No, I mean, it could be raining. It could be windy. It's just like, this is what he's getting. You know, this Hot is the conditions we've been giving yeah. us today. Like, we got to figure and it out. That format from, like, a spectator's standpoint, it's like watching a, a sport, you know, basketball or hockey or something, you know, when you can follow it in real time like that, I think for growing interest in the sport anyway, it's a lot different than waiting until the end of the day and finding out how people did. I think it's been a lot of fun. I think I love it. And some of the guys, there's a lot of other guys that love it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a ton of fun. There's some guys, and I would say early on now, I've like, since I've done it since its inception, I'm like the veteran along with a few other guys. Cause we've had a lot of high school marshals that now are fishing the tour as pros that have come up and stepped in as, as college kids. They were maybe high school marshals three years ago, and now they're, I'm fishing against these guys. They rode around with me on some of these lakes. I showed them the best spots that I think are the best spots. So now I have to compete against those guys. The one thing I would say that these guys that step in and get into the tour is that they don't realize how mentally it's going to 
totally destroy them when the marshal tells them they're down by 44 pounds to John Figgy mm-hmm. or Matt Peters or whoever. Yeah. It will absolutely spin you out. And when I first started, it happened to me occasionally because they would be like, you're 32 pounds back. And you just start to like move spots faster. You just, you don't realize it till you're all done at the end of the day. You realize all the mistakes you made and how we call it, you spun out. But it is an interesting format because it is so hype for eight hours other than we get that hour lunch break. But basically eight hours of fish time, you are on point the entire time. And you have to, I say it's between the temples. You have to be able to know, like even if your marshal goes, you're down by 18 pounds, you're like, it doesn't matter. I know when I get up to here, they're going to be here. In they five should be cast, here. you could make up. I can make that ground up. Yeah. I just, you know, but it is a really hard thing when you get, you know, I mean, and thankfully I've had some success. Like the Mississippi River, um, I had 130 pounds of bass in eight hours. I think I caught 60-some bass or something in eight hours. John Figgy was second. He had 90-some pounds. Third had 30 pounds. Wow. So, like, guys in 10th place who got a check caught, like, six fish all day. That's crazy. Now, their marshal's telling them, you're down by 112 pounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what's that poor guy yeah. thinking? Your yeah. day is like... How did you start to be able to handle that? Like, how did you I think become it was more just, equipped at, at dealing with that? Right, and that's a great question. I think it was just really just starting from the inception that I think I dealt with that early on, that first year at times where I was like, oh, God, I would spin out or certain things would happen or I would just not fish clean because I was like, oh, I better move over there. Like, I got to go up to shore. They're catching them shallow. These guys are kicking my butt. You just got to fish your style and you just got to know you're confident enough and put, you got to take the noise and just block it out. And it's back to like you brought up earlier too, just attention to detail. Know that that rod with that leader, with that bait, the way you like to throw it is going to get bit and be confident with it and just like, just keep throwing it in there. This episode of Do North Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Sportsman's Guide. For everything you need to enjoy the fun, freedom, and traditions of the outdoors, you got to check out sportsmansguide.com. From hunting and fishing to camping, hiking, and just hanging around a bonfire in the backyard, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Tree stands, blinds, rods and reels, ATV accessories, and so much more. Clothing and footwear, too, from top-notch brands like Scentlock, Nomad, Mountain Hardware, Irish Setter, Danner, ah, the list just keeps on going, plus a full line of firearms, ammo, and accessories. The bottom line, if it happens outdoors, you'll find it at Sportsman's Guide. Shop today at sportsmansguide.com and use the code DUNORTH for $20 off your first order. That's DUNORTH, all one word, for $20 off your first order. Natalie, so the night before, we're sitting in this boat and, you know, like a standard jig worm. It depends on which head you have on. Um, and then even the Senko determines Matt, Matt's boat, mm-hmm. which Senko goes on which head because of the fall rate. I mean, like there's things mm-hmm. that are going on in his mind, you know, trimming the the skirt. Hey, on we don't need jig. to give all the secrets. I'm not going to give all, all the yeah, You got to like, yeah. trim There are so many skirt. details yeah. that are going on in his mind. You, you talked about the mental game and I wanted to get into this because there's a lot of people that say, oh my gosh, it's a dream. It would be a dream to fish competitively and to make a living bass fishing or, you know, bass fishing in, in America is basically the one tournament circuit or like the one fish that you can go after and compete and make a living off it, you know, like a Kevin Van Dam or Mike Iaconelli or Brandon Paul. Like, I mean, some of these names now that have emerged. Matt, you jumped into that world at one time. You went, you left the shores of Lake Waconia and you fished. I had big dreams. You fished competitively and it's a mental thing. I mean, it is, 
just like from your perspective, what you experienced, what was that like jumping in? Why did you decide I want to go pro and fish? Live in Georgia where it was 110 degrees. Living in Georgia, fishing spotted bass on Lake Lanier and fishing against these these giants in the bass fishing world. I, you know, it was back to, I grew up on the ski hill, but really it was Lake Waconia. I grew up on the version of Minnesota's bass factory. I thought, oh, I can go do this. I just need to learn how to catch them down south. And I was still 28, 29, didn't have much responsibility. Thought if I'm going to make a crack at this, I better go now. Funny at the time, Brandon Polinick was a co-angler on the FLW at that same time. He went on to win two co-angler events, I think that year. Then he won the Federation Nation, and that's how he got his invite to the elites. And now he's gone on to do great things since, you know, in the last 12 years. But so many of those guys we met along the way. But I learned that year and a half or two years living down there. I thought, well, I'll go do this. I don't have a lot of responsibility. It was a big commitment, though. I had some great sponsors that supported me to go do it. But I just, I'm a Minnesota guy that grew up on a little lake in Minnesota that is used to being around his friends. And all of a sudden you're in Georgia in on Lake Lanier in the middle of a hill in no man's land. And there's no neighbors around me anywhere close to my age. I had no social life. I was just fishing dark to dark every day. And you know that show Alone? Like they (laughs) say like solitary confinement is like the worst thing that can happen to you. It just started to realize, like, is this really what I want? I had to question myself a lot. As much as I loved it, and I did get to travel the FLW Tour and do a bunch of cool things with a lot of great guys and roomed with, fished with Brian Thrift a bunch and Justin Lucas, and we did a ton of fun things and traveled around and did a lot of things that I don't regret any of it. It taught me a lot about who I am today and how I fish and all the things. But when I got in the truck and you drive 18 hours looking through that windshield and then you watch all these guys live, after like a year and a half, I was like, is this really what I'm embarking on for the next like 10 to 20 years of my life? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, and you got a wife and kids at home? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. And I just like all of a sudden, like for me, I just realized maybe that wasn't my cup of tea. I grew up in Minnesota. All my friends were in Minnesota. I was completely out on an island down there. And that was probably the toughest thing on me. I loved the fishing, but just kind of being out on an island, you know, like Sure, I had friends, but they're up in North Carolina on Lake Norman and because I, I knew them through fishing. So I'd have to go up there for a weekend or whatever. It just wasn't like I had a group of guys. It took a while, and I eventually met some local guys and some guides, and there's a lot of striper guides. And I kind of get in with a few locals, and you spend a little time fishing with them and hanging out. But it was just different because we can go around a corner in Minnesota and put a boat in a lake and catch a bass pretty much like every 10 miles. Like there's a lake every 10, 15 miles here. Well, down there, there's, like, these reservoirs, and if you're on Lanier and you don't want to fish there that day, well, then you're driving to Alabama to Gunnersville three hours to go put your boat in Gunnersville for a different, you know, fishing experience. So that was, it was really hard on me to the point where that's when I was like, I'm going to go home and I'll just rethink it. And then I came home and I never went back. I was like, no, I'm going to stay. I remember when you came home, I remember talking to you, and it was a mental thing. Like, I I remember the conversation in just the way that, because you're normally high energy. Anybody that knows you is a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, happy about everything. But you came back, like, down about it. I mean, that was a dream to go and do that. And I think that's the reality for most people. For every Seth fighter that leaves to go join the tour and explode, there's people that, you know, like the country music scene. Mm-hmm. You go to Nashville, everyone's chasing their dream there. There's a yes. lot of yeah. people that want the fishing dream to come true but you go out and all of a sudden there's 100 boats in your tournament or 50 boats or whatever and you end up 
third from the last or something. What was and your- even Brandon Polinick quick while you brought him up? I interviewed him back on MLF and we were chatting about his experience. And, you know, even guys like that that have made it to the very top. He had a lot of years of living oh. in his truck and he jokes that he ate ramen noodles most days and he would like do different things with the ramen. You guys know the little packs yeah. of ramen oh, yeah. noodles, yeah. how that was, that was life. He lived in the Tundra Suites. Really, exactly. Yeah. He was living he in the Tundra Suites. It, yeah. it was like, I mean, he shacked up in the back of his truck for years, even mm-hmm. when he made it to the high level. And that's the reality. I guess mm-hmm. I looked at that. I tra- I was with enough of the guys to look at it. Like, I don't know if that's really for me. I don't know if that's my reality. It's, you really have to be able to, I mean, just really be alone a lot and be able to live on gas station food and little sleep out of your truck at truck stops. And Sam Sovey was talking about it. I'm like, where were you staying? He's like on the deck of my boat in church parking lots because it was the only place I felt mm-hmm. secure. And he was just doing it to travel around down there to make YouTube videos. But I'm like, where do you stay? He's like, we were just staying on, laying on, like literally we we're sleeping on the deck of our boat. So I realized real quick, I'm like, this lifestyle somewhat, some aspects of it aren't that glamorous. They do a great job marketing it. And when you get there, the Seth fighters of the world, things are great. But there's, it's a long road along the way. And I think I was, like I say, close to 30 years old. And I just realized I didn't have that time. I, I, if I wanted to do that, I should have started to chase that dream. Even though I had competitively fished and loved bass fishing, I should have started at like 22. And because then by 30, hopefully I've got, you know, established myself. Starting at 30 to try to dive in at that huge national level is just tough because, you know, it's like a 10-year road ahead of you. But at, to take that a step further, how does a 22-year-old get the backing from enough companies to be able to do that? That's the thing where a lot of people are like, okay, I start at this local uh, tournament circuit. I've won here a few times. I talked to some local companies. Hey, my resume is looking pretty good. I'm winning a few derbies here. And can you back me a little bit more? Can we up this? I want to go to the next level. I want to take they it to the They just need level. Trophy and Connor's blog, and they're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> they can just sell yeah. advertising. No, I sold guide trips to yeah, people based on my blog. But I didn't sell enough to pay entry fees because well, there's a yeah. lot of expenses that come with We get asked to do seminars along those lines to youth and about what they could do. And I tell them to try to get the business side of the education. You can learn a lot about fishing with time on the water. But there definitely is a whole other lane of things that, to your point, like financially at 22, your responsibilities are low, thank goodness. You're probably just out of college or whatever, and you're like, well, I don't have a family necessarily yet. I can footloose and free a little bit, get out of the house. I don't want to be in parents' basement. I'm going to go bass fish and just live out of my truck. You know, a lot of guys want to take crack at it. And it's very expensive to your point. Financially, it's hard. So to get the backing stuff, and there's some guys that are just going to outwork guys. They just are, they don't take no for an answer. They'll just keep knocking on doors. And people will, you know, you'll eventually get a few, and it's small. I mean, even for myself, I remember when a company was like, we'll give you some product. I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. You know, you have to, and you just like, if you can get a few things and then, you know, and just keep working it and try to find what those things are in different companies, that will be responsive. But there's a lot of no's. You get the door shut in your face a lot. I mean, it's financially, it's a massive commitment. I mean, from the boats, the equipment, the hotels, the gas. So do you tell people then that want to, that have the dream? There's a lot of people that have the dream to fish competitively. And after yesterday, I have it back. <laughs> get the fire what are you going to tell you? me? I'm quitting this podcast, mm-hmm. Natalie. You're going so I am here. going on the tour. Oh No, but I mean, like, somebody that really wants to do it, what do you tell them? I think they should do it. I mean, if that's, you know. I, you just I, said all the reasons <laughs> why not to do it. Well, I mean, it, 
the, you, know you don't what? know Fail- unless you, you try. You have to, right? tr- yeah, you, yeah. The failure part of it is is life. You don't know what you don't know in in anything. Whether it's let's start a podcast and we're you know you don't know what you don't know and some things succeed and some things don't. You got to throw sometimes darts at the map. And I tell guys, there's these kids that are fishing. I call them kids. They're twenty some year old kids in the tour right now, champs tour. And they're all like, yeah, we're going to come kick your teeth in. When they take last place, like a good friend of mine has in two events, he's a 21-year-old kid, like his tail's between his legs and is like... It's humbling. This is not... But no- nothing teaches you more right than now, failure. Right. Yes. Pick apart what you did wrong and, you know, relight talk- that fire. I talked to his father this morning for 20 minutes because they fished in the tournament yesterday. It was actually the guys we were idling in next to. His son fishes the champions tour, those two guys in the ranger that I was yelling at. His name's Zach Hapka. Great kid. But he... Really had big aspirations for coming into the Champs Tour. He's bass fished, you know, on Tonka his whole life, knows where to catch bass in Minnesota on a lot of lakes. He's like, I can, you know, and he knew he had a lot to learn, though, and that's why he, but you start there, and now he's going to learn and progress with it. But I got in at 19, the first tournament I went to at Leech Lake, Minnesota Pro-Am in, like, 2000 or whatever it was, and they put my boat in the water, and I was in my 18-foot Ranger. I was, like, 19 years old, and I looked around against the Dean Cappers of the world and the Jim Moynas, and I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I am going to get my teeth kicked in. Yeah. But, and I did, you know, it's like, but okay, but yeah. then you learn. So yeah. there's going to be, um, there's going to be ebbs and flows with it, but you don't know what you don't know. And that's how you're going to learn. You kind of got to throw yourself to the wolves. The, sometimes. the journey is a lot of fun. I remember my first time, a buddy of mine that I grew up fishing with, when we figured out how to catch muskies pretty good, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, we thought, let's jump into muskie tournaments, you know. And so we fished on Lake Mille Lacs as a 16-year-old. We went to the uh, the uh, the dinner the night before and the rules meeting and stuff. And we had a 16-foot sea nymph was our <laughs> fishing boat. And there's guys in these big ranger boats, and we're like, man, someday. Yeah. You know, but we each had white shirts so we could be a team. Like, we didn't have any sponsors <laughs> of any kind. And, um, you know, we dressed up to look nice because we thought this is what you do, you know. And I still remember we went to the rules meeting and we sat down next to these two guys that are, at the time, they were probably in their mid-40s or close to 50 or something like that. And they uh, they started talking with us and became good friends with them. And I learned, like Matt, I learned a lot from this guy named Mike Tengwall and in the muskie world because he, he fished muskies for most of his life. And... I hadn't had anybody to jump in a boat with like that. And he still jokes about that day when we came to that rules meeting. A bunch of old guys and these two 16-year-old kids walk in to go compete. And um, it changes the You got to pl- start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so many people get... That you, that, you know, imposter syndrome, we hear that term a lot, are just scared. Like, I'm, yeah, I don't belong here. I'm not, I'm not good enough. These guys know more, gals. Yeah. And, it can be intimidating. And then you can wait. For you know, a decade or two until you try, and it's yeah, you just gotta throw yourself in there sometimes and go for it and totally. lose. Totally, you get and walk away with your head held high and butt go lose again. Yes, and then, get your yeah. butt kicked oh, and come back for another one. So and on much. that, on Malax Musky tournament, one the second year, we, we didn't catch one the first year, but we lost one. We're like, oh, that was the one, and it was you know the next year we came back. We had a little bit bigger boat. And we were going across the lake because your adrenaline is pumping, and we speared a wave. My buddy was driving his 17-foot Ranger bass boat across Mille Lacs and speared a wave, broke the windshield, broke multiple rods. So not only did we not do well, we broke a bunch of our equipment. We just literally got our butts kicked mentally and physically. 
And then the next year we came back and we got second place, you know? And so all of a sudden, like, there's highs and lows, and you got to be able to um, stick with it, you know? And I think that, I mean, we can paint a big picture to life, you know, in Mm -hmm. some of the, in the journey itself. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm not obviously a tournament angler. I mean, I've competed a couple. I, I, not, bet, not I well, bet if you but, got into them, you would, maybe, the yeah. juices, the competitive, yeah. the competitive but juices. Yeah. Along those lines, though, with all that stuff, it's like I always ask myself any new endeavor, like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you lose. So what? Well, so I'm going to be embarrassed. So what? And just kind of keep going down that that rabbit hole. And there's, I feel like there's a lot more you from information trying. out there now that, hopefully helps people like even if somebody's listening to this and they say you know what they've had some terrible moments out there i'm gonna give it a try Mm -hmm. you know and do it yeah just just do it because there's a lot that you can yeah i don't need any more young competition these guys are really good at what they do i'm like i'm trying to fend these young guys off they know how to read a depth finder and all this equipment way better than i do yeah Matt, last so, probably the last question, and then oh, if you've got some yeah, too, yeah. you can. You go ahead. But I, I think you know what's the what's one thing that you can look back on in your career and say you're either proud of or one person that's really done something for you that you look back on and say that really got me. You took my last question. Oh, I'm sorry. Where I am. It's what everyone that. wants to know, Matt. Oh, you know that's a that's a good one because there's so many influences I've had from yourself to. Tim Dingwall to Chris Lidke's of the world to the Bill Millers, the first client I ever took. But if I probably whittle it all the way back, it's back to Intel Marina standing there and I'm 15 looking around at a Wednesday nighter like, holy cows, you know? And even like a guy like Jeff Zierman, who is just a bona fide hammer, the guy. He doesn't fish tournaments, but he's a great fisherman and he would be there and all these guys. But I just remember like that was when I changed for me. And it was like watching Wade Stout and Chris Lidke and those guys go out and win time and time again. I was just like, I just thought they were God. I was like, oh, my God, you guys catch them so good. I just wish someday I could catch them that good. So that, I think, is what lit the major fire under me at like 14, 15 to where I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it till I'm successful and I'm going to compete at a high level. And I'm going to go to all these events, and I did that through all them years. I'm going to get my teeth kicked in a bunch and eat humble pie. And then eventually you're going to learn enough and hopefully get, you know, far enough along to compete. And that was – but it was really like Chris Lidke, and if I had – you know, my mom and dad were probably the biggest piece of why I'm even in this industry because they moved to Lake Waconia in 1980 when I was one year old and let me grow up on a lake and provided me with a boat. And we're like, sure – when I was in college and I said, I'm going to leave to go fish uh, Minnesota Pro-Am as a pro angler, mom was like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, no, this is what I've wanted to do my whole life. And I think she gave me one more, no, you're not. And I was like, but I'm going to. And she was like, all right, we'll support you. And I was like, okay, perfect, because I'm leaving as soon as this, semester, this spring semester is over and I won't be home for like four months. I'm going to go like figure this out. And I think that was, you know, so – I. There's the angler side of it's like the Chris Lidkeys and the locals that we grew up with from just personal. It was like my parents and those guys that were just there no matter what. They watched me pick myself up after events and I would tell them, I'm like, I'll get them next time. And they would be like, you really think you're going to You know, like, I think they doubt, there was a lot of doubt, but like one of the first people to text me yesterday after this event's over is my mom. And she's like, congrats to you and Trav on your fifth place finish. So she still keeps I up. Love on, yeah, she still keeps up on it. But really, yeah, my mom and dad were just always 
as skeptical as they I think parents need to be, though. Mm -hmm. I think if my son came to me and said, I'm at 16 or whatever, I, I need a boat, I'm going to be a guide. And my dad worked in aviation. I mean, it was just out of their wheelhouse. So I would think, you know, if my son came and did it, I'd be like, sure, you can be a guide. Cause, uh, yeah. But if, if I wasn't in the business or didn't know fishing, I would be skeptical, too. I'd be like, you're going to do what? Okay, so it probably helped you know that you were sure. You know, having somebody question it, it made you do an extra layer of thinking and go, "No, yeah, this is what I want to do." Sure. So. Oh, you have to dig in deep because yeah. part of you actually gets to a point like, the, like so many people are skeptical and are like, you, "There's no way you can ever make a dollar. There's no way you can do this and that." And it's not that you're out to prove them wrong. You just get up with that extra fire, like you know when you tell yourself, like, "No," like you said, we're. You, you looked at me, you go, okay, if we're not going to win the tournament, we're going to get a check. And I was like, absolutely. Like, we are not not getting a check. Like, we're going to go catch them. I have to dig in deep. We're going to have to figure this out. And then when we got in the boat together, we started to vibe. I was like, this is going to go down. We're going to smash them. Yeah. So yeah, it is. If it's it would have been extra. Champions Tour yesterday, you'd have had 200 pounds. <laughs> it would have set a record with all the Well, Adam Rasmussen, Adam Rasmussen yeah. holds the record with 260 or 250 on Pelican Lake in Orr, Minnesota. He caught 250 wow. pounds of bass in eight hours. That was 99 bass by yourself. There's wow. no, and wow. you have to weigh them all. You have to take a picture of them yeah. all. Ninety. That's one every four and a half minutes. That's a pretty good school. I think we probably caught about 65, 70 And that's two of us. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned something, uh, and I'll close with this, and Natalie, if you want to add to it, but um, those names that you listed off are names of people that worked regular jobs that had a family that joined a local bass club and they did well and kids like you and I looked up to them and said I want to I want to be like that someday you know and so for anybody that is in one of those if you if you've won a couple times you can know that there's a kid that you've competed against that looks up to you and wants that and there's a burning fire inside and you have a way, there's a chance to be a positive influence in that kid's life. And that exists all over this country. Right now, bigger than ever, the whole, because high school fishing's become so big and just the whole movement around it has gotten so big that the amount of messages I get of like parents that are like, I don't know you, but my son is ate up with you and just, will you like take him fishing for two hours or can you mentor him? Like, can you just meet us at the local park and show them how to do some things? It's just, to your point, it's gotten that reach now. You realize, like, now those 14- and 15-year-old kids are just want to be a sponge. They just want to be a well – they want to take in because they're just – and like I said, there's been a big movement with youth and angling and outdoors, and that's been great for our industry and for the sport. But I try to – Waconia, for instance, doesn't have a high school fishing team, not to get on it too far down the plate. Easy, tree. easy. Yeah, I know. I know. I've had a couple people ask if I'm going to start one. They've asked. When my boys are ready. I've had all there. these people ask yeah. me to be the coach of this high school well, fishing team. You and now like, have a son, so I, we'll do it. You and I. Who's going to be coach? Who's going to be assistant coach? I'm That's assistant for know. sure. I will take back seat on this because <laughs> yeah. I know that there'll be moments that I won't make it to practice. <laughs> so here's, and we're going to extend this. Sorry, Brandon. But last year, uh, my, my oldest and my nephew and my niece joined, there is a fishing, a kid's uh, fishing league. Club I, or something? Yeah, it's a kid's summer angler, young angler, I believe is what it's called, fishing league. And they can fish either on Lake Minnetonka, Lake Independence, or Lake Waconia. And so naturally you would think that I would be the coach for my son and my nephew. But 
I personally wanted my kids to be able to spend time with my dad because when I was a kid, their age, I had time spent with my grandpa in a boat and that is time that you can't even put a price tag on. Like, there's not one gift that my grandparents ever bought me that I remember, but I remember so many of the days fishing with my grandpa, getting up early, going and doing that. So I, my dad, I sent them the information about this league, and I said, I know the kids would love the opportunity. One, it's a, it was a once-a-week commitment to get them in the boat with my dad, but just I didn't care how well they did. I just wanted them to have the time out there fishing with my dad. And my dad's like, well, okay, you got to give me your GPS coordinates, what rods we use, and all this mm -hmm. stuff. I'm like, no, dad, you guys are just going fishing. Right. Mm -hmm. You are just going fishing. They are six, seven, and nine-year-old kids, and they want to fish, and they get to do it with you. And they can learn your knowledge and your ideas when they fish with you. You take them out all the time. So yeah. Get another, I take them as much as I possibly can. And that's also one thing, too, that I learned this week that Matt and I talked about when it comes to family. You know, you've got a son now, Matt, and I've got four kids now. Um, the time that I spent away from them practicing for this tournament, there was, like, Sunday morning, I would normally grab a couple of my kids. I would wake if I woke up at 5. Normally, I'd go in and take a them and say, hey, do you want to go mm -hmm. fishing? And then my oldest would go, yeah, let's go. And he would be ready to go. But then I didn't do that because I knew we were jumping in. We were, like, with a mission, with a purpose to figure out what we needed to learn. So there's, there's a price for the time that we invest into some of, the, of our passions. And there's that, you know, where if we can bring our kids with, it adds so much more to it, too. But there's, I think what I'm trying to get at is a balance is important. Because your my wife took on extra responsibilities when I was fishing this. Matt, your wife did too. Everybody out there yesterday had other people taking on extra responsibilities. So to look at the big picture, it's a lot of fun to do. But we have um, saints. They're they're yeah. like they're that good. Like yeah. Jen is that solid. I'm like she is a saint and handles life. Because I'm like I will check with you in a week. I'm going fishing. Yeah. So pay it. Back. Yeah, I know. you know, Matt, pay it back. I'm trying when I'm home, to find it's steak and to... asparagus dinner with a yeah. glass of red wine. I get it. Like yeah. when I'm finally Honey, home, I yeah. want you to go have your time yeah. too, so that it goes both ways. Yeah, it's healthy that way. Matt, what's next for you? Any uh, endeavors or bucket list things or goals on the horizon? We've uh, nothing shattering our. The Champions Tour will go to Gull Lake at the end of August for our last regular season event. And then we go to Serpent Lake for the championship. The top 25 will go to Serpent. And we fish for a Skeeter boat there. So that's really, that will, it, before we know it, it'll be September, right? It, this is all blown by this whole summer. We're already almost into August. So it's going fast. Um, other than that, I'm really lo actually looking forward to an elk hunt that I'm going on in September. I'm going to go do an elk hunt, an archery elk hunt. So Where is that going to be? Uh, just southwest of Albuquerque, going to New Mexico to the high desert mountains there in an area that I've been before with some, some buddies of mine, and we're going to do that. So that's my decompressed time because there's like four months. We have a short window here of open water season because I'm not a big fall fisherman because I hunt so much. But four months go hard on the water, and then I dive into a little decompressed time and do a little hunting. And the lake's freeze, and then you're back out there. And then the lake, lake freezes, the and I go to Lake of the Woods, and it's 28 below, and I'm asking myself, where's my sanity? Cause Moving this houses is... for people to come up and fish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll go back that long this winter. I can't do 60 days on that frozen tundra anymore. I think Florida wow. looks pretty good now. Yeah, there's a lot of local guides that have moved on there and made a career out of that. 
we'll see where your journey takes you. Thanks for coming in today, bud. Thanks for fishing. Yeah, thank and, you guys. Uh, I'm going to have you. to go look at the next uh, couple or uh, partners tournaments that's available and see if we can get in. There's Find any. us one. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you want to do the black, the Blackfish Classic, when did they open registration for that? Do you remember? Um, I think it was February. It might have January, February, March. Somewhere over the winter they Matt, had. Matt Johnson uh, does a good job running it with the whole clam team. And Clam runs Blackfish Outdoors. It's one of their, um, their like, branches, you know, for everything that they do. And Matt said that the 100 field team was full this year in 13 minutes. It filled. And in an hour and a half, there were 165 teams because they had a waiting list on there, too. So if you want to do it, you got to be on them. Yeah, and, and I think he did mention <laughs> you're expecting me to get us registered and again I in the, within year. the first nine minutes or and something. I want to fish next year. Matt did mention, though, that they are looking at modifying the registration because it was kind of a, like, if your browser didn't um, update fast enough, you didn't get in. Like, they, some people were, so they may, we'll see, but if you look at Black, Blackfish Gear, whatever, they have the information there, they'll put up the tournament info eventually. A lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun, bud. Thanks for everything. Natalie, closing thoughts? Uh, no, just thanks again for, for joining. And I hate to say it while you're here, but... We're always looking for more guests. So if you're listening from home, you can let us know. If there's anyone that can match Matt as a guest. Bring, uh, bring but, the energy. But let us know, yeah. <clears throat> and topics, too. And topics, I mean, yeah. Yeah, because we always want to try to stay timely. And the seasons are changing. We've got hunting season coming up. We're going to dig into some hunting topics as that approaches. But um, there's never a dull moment in the outdoor world. Yep. Brandon, we good? Yes. <laughs> Way to close it. All right. I'm, uh, for Natalie and I, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. Mm-hmm.